This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Man, that, that, was, that was great. Uh, Heidi Roche, one of our young adults here, she uh, leads that group and um, just does a wonderful job. Can we say thank you again to them? It was awesome. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before your word asking that you, King Jesus, would be glorified in our, um, in our thoughts, in the way that we worship as we um, interact, as we listen, as we hear you, Jesus. My prayer is that people would hear from you this morning, um, not from me. Would you work? Would you move? Would you change? Would you mold us more into the image of you, King Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I had the chance this weekend to, uh, to do a quick trip to Seattle to see one of my good friends and, and roommates from college get married. And if you're your father, you travel around at all, you know, typically when you come back, your kids have something really exciting to tell you and they sort of mob you when you walk in the door and it was no different last night. When I got home, um, they came up to me and the big news while I was gone for um, uh, less than 48 hours was that they got new toothpaste. I mean... (laughs) This is awesome, right? So, so they come up to me, Dad, you're not going to believe what mom got us at Target. And I'm like, no, I'm not. What kind of plastic junk did we get now? You know, um, we got new toothpaste. And I'm like, toothpaste, wow, awesome. You know what I said? You try to act excited, sweet, <laughs> wow. Um, it's the kind, they say, Dad, it's the kind that you have to spit out. I'm like, whoa, that's epic. So we go into the bathroom and you know, you know, sort of the drill if you're a parent, we go in and they got the new toothpaste and they open the top and they're like, dad, look, boom, it's green. (laughs) I'm like, awesome. We need some more now. Great. And as they, as they did that, as they sort of, as they put that pressure on that tube of toothpaste and they squeezed it and the toothpaste that they were so proud of and so excited about just shot up through the top and was a big fun mess to clean up on re-entry. I started to think about that tube of toothpaste uh, and I started to think, you know what? I think our lives um, aren't all that dissimilar. See, here's the thing. Putting pressure on a tube of toothpaste does not create what's inside of it. It simply reveals it. Putting pressure on the toothpaste, it's it's not going to create what's inside of it. What's inside of it is already there. The pressure on the toothpaste reveals what's inside of the tube. Right? And I think our lives are pretty similar. I think sometimes we, we think that the pressures, the trials, the tests of life, they, they make things of us. And, and in a way, they do, but it's not a creation of nothing. It's a formation out of what's been being created in us the whole time. It's not creating out of nothing, ex nihilo. It's, it's simply revealing what's been going on inside of us the entire time. 
So I did a little bit of research. I'm like, well, how do they? Because if you've ever tried to get toothpaste back in the tube, you know that's not a fun endeavor, nor is it possible. Once it's out, it's out. So I started to think, all right, well, how do they actually get the right stuff inside of the tube? Well, here's what they do. They seal it. They um, have the bottom open, and they put the toothpaste in, and then they seal the bottom right behind it. That's how they do that. Well, I started to think, if it's true that... The pressures of life simply reveal what's already on the inside. How do we get the right stuff on the inside? How do, how do we get the right kind of stuff on the inside so that when the trials and pressures and pushing of life comes, that what's revealed from our life and refined by God for our formation is the, the good stuff, the right stuff. Look at the way that James puts this. We looked at this verse last week from a little bit of a different lens. This is from the message again because that's what we used last week. But listen to the way that James writes this. He says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Um, Pressures of life come at you. Consider that gift. Anybody there yet? Okay, right, 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 me neither. So you know that under pressure, Your faith life, he says, is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So James is going to argue, he's going to teach that, hey, what happens when life gets difficult is that what's inside of you naturally comes out of you. And he says, this is the refinement of faith, but it's not the beginning of it simply the revealer of it. So so how do we become the kind of people that have the right stuff on the inside? It's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it because it just happens to be what we're studying this morning. But I think what we're going to look at this morning, on the surface, it's going to look like a yes and amen passage, and it is that. But I want to propose to you that lurching behind this season of growth was a potential snag for the church, snag for the early church. And I would argue that it was potentially the most dangerous time for the early church that we've read about thus far. Now, now just by way of summary, we read about people going to jail. We read about people getting beaten. We read about people getting stoned in the streets. We read about Christianity trying to be outlawed. That's all part of my, um, what I want to propose to you is one of the most difficult seasons of the church. I think this is as hard or harder than anything the church has been through yet. And here's what it says. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. So if you're, if, you're, if you're following along, you're going, all right, so Paulson, that sounds awesome. Sounds great. And I, and I would say, yes, it does. But also what sits back behind this word is the potential to put the car on cruise control and just start going. Throughout all of Judea, Galilee, Samaria, the church had peace and it was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You see, you and I, we have this choice when it comes to times of peace. 
We can be the type of people who respond to peace with laziness and complacency, or we can be the type of people that respond to peace with intentionality and with growth. And what I want to do this morning is through this text of scripture, I want to paint for you a beautiful portrait, hopefully, of the personal internal structures that led to this church being a vibrant, life-giving group of believers rather than a complacent, coasting, drifting group of people. And one of the reasons we sit here this morning is because the church didn't respond to peace with complacency, but with intentionality. And so the big question for us, simple, let me just get it on the table, is, hey, most of our lives are lived in this situation. I mean, when it's all put in context of what other believers go through in the world, and we started there this morning because I hope you're following that and reading the paper and and trying to um, keep informed about what's going on in the Middle East for our fellow brothers and sisters so that we can at least enter in and pray. Most of our lives are going to be lived Probably. In peace. So how do we get the right stuff in during those times? Here's what this passage is going to teach us. It's going to teach us that intentionality during times of tranquility leads to prosperity. Intentionality during times of tranquility leads to prosperity. And if you're afraid of the prosperity gospel and don't even want to write that word, write growth, write health. Whatever you want, I'm fine with that. But God does want to prosper us. It just doesn't look like what you're often told it looks like. Intentionality during times of tranquility leads to peace. And this was a time of peace for this church. So just by way of summary, if you were here last week, you heard about uh, the Apostle Paul being formed in the furnace of affliction, of opposition, of suffering, of waiting, that God uses that time to start to stir in him, to start to birth in him, and then he squeezes him, and what comes out is a beautiful portrayal of the goodness of the gospel of grace. And now we have what Luke often does in the book of Acts. He gives us sort of a quick time out and he goes, all right, let me give you a big landscape of what's going on in the time and the place and the history of this book. It's a time of peace. We know that politically things had started to change a little bit. That the governor, Vitilius, had succeeded Pontius Pilate. That the emperor had been, had died, Emperor Tiberius had died and had been replaced by Caligula and Caligula replaced, um, sorry, he gave his good friend Herod Agrippa I the authority as the king over Palestine. And so all of these changes meant a time of settling because the, the former regime was very open to the Jewish people beating up the Christians because they were opposed to the gospel. The new regime says, come on, let's, let's just call a time out. Let's have a season of peace so that we can sort of get our bearings under it. And the church uses this time to sort of repair its sails, as it were, to start to charge in a new direction. The second thing that led to peace was Saul became the apostle Paul, right? He stopped beating up the church and became one of the greatest preachers the church has ever known, one of the greatest church planters the church has ever known. And so they have this season. This season that begs us to ask the question, how do we use the downtimes in life? 
How do we use the in-between times in life? How do we use the quote-unquote normal seasons of life so that the right stuff gets in us? So that when seasons of life that are difficult start to press on us, the right stuff is revealed out of our life. How concerned are you with who you're becoming? With the condition of your soul? Are we on cruise control? So I'm asking myself these questions too, friends, because I'm in this with you. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. I'm, I'm in a sense preaching to myself and fighting for our joy together because I think it's so easy to just put life in cruise control and to go to work nine to five every day, come home, do the same thing every night, watch TV, turn it on for three or four hours, exhaust ourselves, go to bed, do it all over again the next day. And where are we gonna get to when it's all said and done, you guys? Because I'll tell you what, that rhythm is not gonna reveal when life presses on us and squeezes on us, it's not gonna reveal the good stuff inside. See, it's intentionality during times of tranquility that leads to prosperity. Not complacency. It's not gonna get us there in the end. So almost every night I have this conversation with my son, Ethan, because he does not like to eat. So we put this whole plate of food in front of him and we're like, come on, buddy, you can, you can do it. Eat a, eat a few vegetables, eat a little bit of meat, like something other than the popsicle that you're chattering about the entire dinner. Like, come on, you do it, eat it. I think God would say the same thing to you and I. The amount of resources at your fingertips are insane. Crazy. The amount of opportunities that are present if we'll just sort of call a timeout and take the car off cruise control and go, all right, Lord, how might you want me to grow during this season of life you have me in? It's innumerable. I mean, your accessibility to information is unprecedented if you look at history. The question is, what are we doing with it? How are we being formed more and more into the people of God? So I wanna point out just a few things in the remaining time that we have together that this passage reveals about those who don't settle for complacency but engage in intentionality that leads to prosperity. Let's go back to the text that we're gonna be looking at. One verse this morning and start to just dive in. It says, so the church throughout all of Judea Galilee and Samaria had peace. It's this like sort of, um, it's a Greek word, but it's really from the Hebrew word shalom. It's they had, they had wholeness, they had goodness. This was a great time in their life. And it says that they were passive. So God was doing this, being built up. They're being strengthened. They're being made into something different. Not during the, the difficult seasons of life. They were doing that then, but, but God says, the, the word of God tells us that during this season of peace, he was building, building, building. And it says, and walking in the fear of the Lord. Let's just look at that one word, walking. It's the picture Dr. Luke paints for us of the church intentionally deciding a direction and ferociously going after it. That's the picture. It's what Paul writes to the church at Corinth when he says this. 
He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, so he goes, come on, church, run so that you may obtain it. I mean, he, he's, he's saying, come on, you guys. Like, take it out of cruise control. Run the race in such a way that you win the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, he says, followers of Jesus, the stakes are way higher. It's an imperishable. So I don't run, what's the word? Come on, give it to me. Aimlessly. He goes, I've set in my scope where I want to be. And the person that I want to become and the follower of Jesus, the, the life of Jesus that I want to come out of me, the soul health that I'm aspiring to, I've set it in my scope. And I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Is that our approach? Because the early church, the, the right stuff got out of them when life got hard because the right stuff was in them before it did. And one of the ways it got there, Dr. Luke tells us, was they were focused on what their goal was, on who they wanted to become and the kingdom lives that they wanted to live. Every two years, I'm gonna read to you this D.A. Carson quote because I think it's that significant. I've read it to you before. But here's what he says. People do not drift towards holiness. Um, just look up at me for just a second, away from the screen. That's true. That's true. You're not just gonna get there someday and go, wow. I mean, I was sitting on the couch eating potato chips and here I am, holy, growing in my relationship with the Lord. I haven't read my Bible in years, but man, the life of Jesus is coming out of me. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in a microwave. It's not six-minute abs. We're not going to drift there, friends. Apart from grace-driven effort, people don't gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and dilute ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Now, that's potentially hard to hear, because you may look at it and go, like I do in some ways, and go, man, Lord, Lord, Lord I'm, am I heading down that path? Help me. Spirit, help me. Speak. Jonathan Edwards argued that we must cultivate vigorously and lively affections or inclinations, both of our heart and of our mind, to be drawn to Jesus. It's what the early church did. They walked. They were definitive about their direction. And so as we start to sort of engage this this morning, I would say this, that the first thing that we see as far as this character profile of the early church that flourishes during times of tranquility, 
Instead of being complacent, here's what they do. They determine their direction. Now it helps that they've just gotten beaten up for a few years. Because they're going, all right, this is, now we're having a season of the waves not crashing quite as hard, but we know the goal. Now, you and I haven't probably been beat up for a few years, so I'm praying that God would do something in us so we could see the goal clearly. And his name, the goal's name, is Jesus. So the direction of your life will always determine the destination of your life. The direction of your life will always determine the destination. And what you set in your scope and the way that you, through the daily rhythms of life, start to make that either a reality or a non-reality will determine the destination. It will determine where we end up. And whether we, quote, win or lose at life is determined by the direction that we walk on a daily basis. I love this beautiful picture of the church. It says that that their direction, their scope was set in such a way that they were built up. It's passive. It's God's work. But they're walking. And as they're walking, God's building. He's moving in them. He's changing them. Little bit, day by day by day. It's like the field that I see being um, cultivated and worked over to set foundations for buildings that are gonna be built there. Every day I drive by it, it looks a little bit different. Your life is the same way, he says, if you'll set your direction and walk with me faithfully. See, it's one of God's intentions. It's one of the things he longs to do in your life. It says about the church, it says that in him, you are being built together, us together. Now, now just a quick side note, both of these buildings in Acts chapter nine, verse 31, and here in Ephesians 2.22, are communal. Do you know that God builds people, plural, peoples, not a person. He builds us together into a dwelling place for him by his spirit. It's why it's significant that Luke, in writing about the quote-unquote church, not churches, says the church, one, singular, in Samaria, in Judea, and Galilee is being built up. He's going, hey, hey, these are different churches, but this is one church because they have one pastor, one chief shepherd, and his name is Jesus. They're all under him. And if you're wondering who our senior pastor is, it's him. It's Jesus. He's at every meeting. It's great. He's able to go to every function. If you're starting a new ministry this fall, I guarantee he'll be there. I might not, but he will. And Dr. Luke, from the very get-go, starts to paint this picture. God is building up his people, the church, into a place where he dwells. You see, here's, here's what we learn from this passage, is that walking with Jesus is characterized by intentional direction that leads to a firm foundation. So we have to ask the question, where are we walking, friends? How are we walking? Have we decided that we want to be the type of people who grow? So that's one characteristic of those who follow Jesus in such a way that times of tranquility lead them into prosperity, flourishing, and life. It says this, and walking in the fear of the Lord. 
Okay, so that's just, this is going to be the second thing. Fear of the Lord is a phrase that's used over 300 times in the Old Testament. Over 300 times in the Old Testament. And I think it's um, summed up, the Old Testament view of this idea is summed up by Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes. We're at the end of this book of wrestling with this idea of fear of the Lord. He says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. I started to wrestle with this because I thought, Lord, do, do the good stuff, does the good stuff get in my life as I walk with you in fear, in trepidation? God, do you want us to be scared of you? Is that the goal? <laughs> because it sure seems to me like you, you don't want us to be afraid of you. In fact, one of the things your spirit does inside of us is makes us unafraid of you. Listen to the way that Paul writes it. He says, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into what? Fear. So we're supposed to walk in the fear of the Lord in a way that we don't fear. Huh? What does that mean? Well, I think as I was reading through just in my own time with the Lord, some passages in Luke, through the book of Luke, I started to see this theme. Let me show it to you, if I could. Luke chapter one, verse 50. Mary, in her song about the goodness of Jesus coming, says this, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. We're invited into this tension when Zechariah prophesies in verse 74, he says, that we being delivered from the land of our enemies might serve him without fear. Okay, we're invited further into this tension in verse five, chapter five, verse 26. When we hear about Jesus cleansing a leper and it says, and amazement seized them all and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe. Same word there, awe, fear. They were filled with fear. Saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Chapter 7, verse 16. Just doing a quick word study here, friends. It says, and fear seized them all. This is after this widow, Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. Now, you imagine him up next to the bed, whispers into his ear, raises him from the dead. The result is fear. Now, not, oh my gosh, is he gonna do that to me too? Right? It's not, I am terrified that he might raise me from the dead also. It's we are in the presence of somebody completely other and completely glorious and completely beautiful, the likes of which we have never encountered before. Verse 25 of chapter eight, and we'll end here. He said to them, where's your faith? This is after he calms the storm. And they were afraid. Now, they were terrified before when the storm was raging. They were afraid after when Jesus said, hey, why don't we just calm it down a little bit, waves? And they're like, okay. Disciples step back and go, wow. 
And I think we get mixed up a little bit with this idea of fear of the Lord. They walked in fear of the Lord. Were they they absolutely terrified that at any moment God was going to crush them? No, no, they weren't. They were captivated. They knew he could, but that he was good. They were captured by his beauty. They were in awe of his glory and his splendor. In these verses that we looked at it and others, you can go do your own word study. The words most associated with fear in the New Testament surround God's glory, his weight, his splendor, his magnificence, his godness. And the churches, they grow. They walk in this fear of the Lord. And for them, to fear the Lord means to give weight, to give prominence to the power of Jesus that's in their lives. That they walk maybe past every single day. That you and I walk past every single day. And hey, here's the hardest part about walking in the fear of the Lord is that we have such a great illusion of control in our day and time. I mean, Thursday morning, I'm in Denver. Thursday mid-morning, I'm in Seattle, right? Covering 1,000-plus miles. And we fly back in yesterday, and I'm thinking, man, this is great. I can hop up, see a friend get married, come back, still be here for church and everything. We're, we're flying in yesterday, and God reminded everybody on the plane how small we were. Nice big thunderstorm waiting for us in Denver. Plane that's just getting bounced around like a ping pong ball. People praying out loud, right? Like, oh, we got other Christians on the plane. Awesome. Woman grabbing her husband's hand so hard that it started to turn white. Like, dude, you okay over there? Right? We have these moments where God pulls the veil back a little bit for us and goes, hey, I'm still. still in control. And it's great for us to remember that you and I are really, really small. And if we can cultivate a rhythm of walking in that on a day-to-day basis, the right stuff starts to get inside of us so that even when ta- in times of peace, God is grand and God is big. And hey, look up at me for just a second. When life comes crushing down around us, if we've developed that rhythm in times of peace, what's gonna come out of us in difficult times is God is great. He's able. He's beautiful. He's spectacular. I'm in awe of him and I've been walking in that when the sky is blue and the sun is bright and I'm gonna walk in that too when the valley of life comes. You see, to walk in the fear of the Lord, it's it's characterized by an awareness of God's power, not a terror of his punishment to stand back a little bit from life, to push pause just a tiny bit for a hair on life to say, God, maybe this has been on cruise control a little bit, but I need to re-engage you in personal worship so that I'm aware of your hand and your spirit in my life. That this can't be the only time that you quote unquote worship. If it is, may I propose to you that we're simply just drifting along. But to walk in the fear of the Lord and the um, awareness and awe of his presence and power is intentionally cultivated in the life of the believer. 
And hey, if we remember that he's God, we have some serious work to do in our life. Not in trying really hard to do certain things for him, but in trying really, really hard to get to the root of the idols that we hold so dear so that he can start to take root in our soul and other things are de-godded in our life. And for you and I, will you look up at me for just a second? Some of the idols that we hold and cling so dearly to are really good blessings that God has given to us. And they're hard to identify because they're from his hand, but they were never intended to take his place. And so the easy ones for me, I'll just put my cards on the table, are my family. Starts to get into that place. Power starts to get into that place. Money for a lot of people starts to get into that place. Sex for a lot of people starts to get into that place. All good things if used in the way that God intended for them to be used. All great things if they're under God's authority in our life. All terrible gods if we elevate them on the throne. So part of this rhythm, the early church, the ethos of the early church, their, their dynamic is, all right, God, we're gonna be intentional during times of tranquility and it's gonna lead us to prosperity. And under that, we're gonna say to you, God, our sights are set on you. We're chasing after you and we are aware of the goodness, the glory and the power that's in your hand and your hand alone. So God, root out all the things in me that aren't of that. And finally, finally, It ends by saying this. Verse 31, chapter nine. They walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they were multiplied. Just so you know, I've been praying this over our church for the last two weeks as it stirred in my soul. And I'm gonna continue to do it because I think it's a beautiful portrait of a people of God that God transforms internally so that they can externally transform the world. So I said last week that God is far more interested in your formation than he is in your comfort. And this week I'm telling you, one of the roles in the Holy, of the Holy Spirit in your life is to comfort you. And so the discerning listener might go, hey, Paulson, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth here. So I just want to get my cards on the table and go, hey, well, you, you, maybe, maybe, but, but, but. Here's what I said last week, that God's far more interested in your comfort or your formation than he is in your comfort. And the end game in this passage is not the comfort of this church. The end game in this passage is they're made, they're built up. The end game is formation, is change, is during these seasons of tranquility that God brings about prosperity so that when they're squeezed, the good stuff, the faithful stuff comes out. See, in this passage, comfort's not the end. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the end. And being transformed into his image and his likeness is the center point of this passage. So we said, determine your direction, solidify your worship, and then finally, here's what they do. They open their heart to God. 
to say back to them, back to God, God, I'm open. Whatever your spirit longs to do in my life, I'm open. And here's why that's hard for us. Rewind. Here's why that's hard for me. Because I want to tell God, here's how I need you to come alongside of me. And I want to tell God, here's what it looks like. If you're going to bring comfort, if you're going to bring goodness, if you're going to bring blessing into my life, let me tell you what that looks like. Here's the plan, and you execute it. But that's not what the church did. So they have this posture already of fear of the Lord. They're walking in the awareness of his power. So it's natural for them to say back to God, God, whatever you want to pour into, need to pour into my life, I'm open. Do it. Do it. Bring me whatever you need to make me into the person of God. And if we're gonna receive comfort from the Holy Spirit, we need to learn how to simply be in the presence of God. Let me say that again, because it's not an equation. It's not X, Y, and Z, execute this, and then you get this. It's we need to learn to be in his presence, to sit and to soak, to sit and to listen and to not talk, to sit and receive not earn. You see, here's the deal, friends, is that comfort from the Holy Spirit is characterized by learning to receive, not trying to accomplish. Comfort is this really beautiful Greek word that Dr. Luke uses. It's the word, the root word is paraclete, but it literally means to come alongside of somebody. It was a legal term before the church started to use it in reference to the Holy Spirit. It was a legal term of, it was a friend who would come with you into a courtroom and speak truth about you. It's a friend who would come alongside of, literally, it means to come alongside and to encourage, to build up. And I think so much of our interaction with God is based around telling him rather than receiving from him. And this church, they lived it out beautifully. So Jesus says, I am your advocate. I am your defender. And comfort from his spirit is characterized by encouragement through life's struggles, not alleviation of them. So he goes, I'm with this, you in this, and I'm gonna speak truth about you. So let me close by the truth that he longs to speak over you. So we're open to the Spirit's leading. Receiving, not earning. Here's what we start to hear. We start to hear him say, I love you. I'm for you. You're holy. You're redeemed. You're made new. You're being restored. My grace sufficient for you, regardless of what you're walking through in life. I call you my own, my son, my daughter. 
and you see the life that intentionally walks with Jesus in awareness of his presence, his awe, his splendor, his power, his glory, and open to his spirit's leading, starts to hear those words spoken over them. And can I just tell you, can I just tell you, will you look up at me for just a second? Hey, it's one thing to hear me say it over you. It's a game life changer to hear God say it over you. So I'm praying, praying that we would be the type of people that are open to hearing from him. Will you determine your direction, solidify your worship, open your heart to receive? Because internal growth, here's the deal, internal growth always, always, always leads to external multiplication. It just does. It's the way the passage ends because God is that good. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, before we go just racing out of here, would you do some work in our hearts and our lives? You've been doing it. But Lord, we just wanna sit before you for a moment before we enter back into the, the chaos of the day. Father, would you allow us to do some real analysis of our life to see where, where we're at with you? Lord, are we drifting aimlessly or are we walking definitively towards you. Jesus, are you Lord? Or have we set up other gods in your place? And Spirit, we, we say back to you once again, in the same way that we started the service, you're welcome here. Not, not this room, but you're welcome here in our lives. Come dwell, come move, stir, comfort, come alongside of us. And Jesus, we long to hear your spirit speak your words of life and truth and peace and blessing and goodness over us as we walk with you. Give us ears to hear that it might change the way that we live, please. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful, precious, holy name that we pray, amen and amen. Would you stand with me and receive the benediction as we close our time together today? To him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that you could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. Be glorified in your life and in our life as a body together to his glory and his name and his name alone. Amen. Amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.